stuff like gold are good hedges against inflation. I don't know what you're going to re react to that, but they're historically good uh, hedges against inflation. So we can make any comments on that, but I, I'm just going to say, you know what's not a good thing to be in right now? Cash uh, money. Cash. Stacks of cash. What's up, boss? This is Abraham's Wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Hello and welcome to the Abraham's Wallet video podcast. Oh my word. Uh, I, I'm excited to kind of get back to our roots this week, Stephen. Oh. I think... It's been a little while since we've had a good old-fashioned money education episode. It, ha it does feel like it's been a while. And I'm stunned to know that I'm the one that really wanted to talk about money. And I've got a real itch to talk about this subject. And I'm really looking forward to hearing you opine on it. Great. Well, before we get into that, we are now four days in to the month known as Lodo Feb. And yes. I just want to do a quick early, an early touch base. By the time oh this boy. goes out, it might be a mid or even backstretch touch base. I'm not sure when this episode We're going to get published. it up pretty soon because I want it up before the big game, which is appearing soon. Cool. Well, it's, it's like I said, it's four days in. So far, we have spent... Uh, we have bought five baking potatoes at the store. That is all I've spent so far in February. You are way ahead of this guy. I, I have a couple of challenges, which if I ever planned ahead and could get ahead of Lodo Feb, I would know these costs are coming. We do an annual uh, uh, Super Bowl party with some friends. And of course, this year, uh, we knew we are going to have to do it up this year. So one of the, so we spent more on who, decor already. Wait, Go ahead. Who day? <laughs> well, it's my friends. It's my friends that have this party. And so um, when we're who daying together, uh, we've, we've tried to go big on decor. And also I play uh, for anybody that doesn't know this every year, I put together a um, it, it's like a props, game where you pick, you know, who's going to throw the most yards and what's the first play from scrimmage going to be. And it's kind of a fun thing to do with, with folks. And we'll put it up on our, uh, on our old fashioned blog for people to, uh, to get it. If you don't know that we exist as a blog, we're at abrahamswallet.com and you can download this game and play it with friends. Anyways, as we play it, we, people have to put in a $10 gift card just to participate in the game. And, um, you know, I could buy those on January the 31st, but I neglected to do that. And so I had to plunk down that money. And then uh, today, as a matter of fact, is my parents' 57th wedding anniversary. And it's my father's birthday as well. They were married on my father's birthday. And, you know, you could buy things to be delivered on 
February 4th in January, but I, I fail. I fail at all that. So I, I hope we've spent more this week than we're going to spend the rest of the month put together. But we do have Valentine's Day coming up. Why don't you tell the people what you do for Valentine's Day in Lodo? Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned gift cards. I, I've been digging through the, the gift card bin. I haven't been as diligent this year as in past years, but I prepped for Lodo. So I have at least 150 pounds of meat in the chest freezer right now. Smart. Um, so there's no way we have to buy meat. We, we went with some frozen veggies. They're really doing good things these days with frozen <laughs> veggies. Um, you know, it used to be just soggy broccoli that you could get yes. at the grocery store. Well, you can get a charred Brussels sprout with bacon frozen veggie now. Uh, you can get a uh, grilled pepper medley. There's lots of frozen veggies that aren't uh, miserable like they all used to be. So, is this at your Costco Supercenter? Is this at my local grocery it's store? At, it's at the Costco that we wow. verified last week. You could go to if you were just willing to drive to Dayton once a week. Yeah, yeah. Um, but let's see here. I have I have Chipotle. That's uh-huh. always a winner. Yeah, people um, love it. You know... I have a hundred dollars to the honey baked ham company. I have two of these $50. Oh. So where those we could live, we could live for a month on honey baked on a, on a honey baked ham between the, the soup we would make the, the ham. We won't be starving in Lodo Feb. Well, how did you come um, by those? It was a gift some time ago. And I said, babe, don't spend those. We're going to, we're going to eat ham in the month of February. And now, you know, it's on. I have a Ruth's Chris gift certificate here. Whoa. I don't have a clue how much is on this, which is dangerous because if we went for a Valentine's date and it has $20, yeah. then that, that's a snake bite right You're there. You're going to want to find um, out how much is on that before you enter the restaurant. Yeah, I'm going to try to figure that out. I have a couple Visa gift cards here. This one has about $1.95 on it. So that's good for a drip coffee at maybe 7-Eleven. Okay, yeah. Uh, this one has $25. That that could be turned into a date night <laughs> if we were thoughtful. And then I have rewards points. So you know about my favorite little Mexican joint, Cafe Rio. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've got at least two free dinners for the whole family saved up in loyalty points there. Uh, so we, we'll be okay. We, my wife says we're still buying fruits and vegetables because yes. she's a, she's very big on, you know, she, she's willing to try these exotic frozens that I got, but yes. for the most part, she wants fresh fruit and vegetable. Yes. Um, Milk and eggs. Yeah. Otherwise though, I think we might make it on under a hundred dollars this month total That's awesome. gro- grocery spend. Um, to your point, I'm always tempted to go super frugal on like gifts and things. And I, I had to just preach to my own soul. Don't do that. Uh-huh. Um, just, just because it's Lodo Feb doesn't mean you turn off the generosity knob. So that's a category that I'm not going to try to save on. We budget every month for gifts and, and, and uh, we had an opportunity to take a kid skiing with us and, you know, a single day at the ski resorts, like $160. And oh, I thought word. that kid can sit in the car. Uh, <laughs> but my wife was like, no, we're going to use our money to 
do the the things that we want to do as a family. So, you know, all I can say is I can't imagine it's going to be worse than last, last year. Was it two years ago? Yeah. Two years ago when I bought a pickup on the first oh, day of right. LotoFeb. That's right. So if that makes you feel better, there's still hope for your LotoFeb. That's a fun tradition. We uh, actually, I have my, it's in the car, but I have my little wallet of gift cards. That would be a fun thing to do every year is what gift cards have you prepared and saved for Lodo Feb? Because I just had my first gift card lunch today and I, I don't, I think I might have gotten it. I think I might have gotten it as a win from the Super Bowl last year and, and kept it. I'm, I'm not sure, but anyhow, I thought. Yeah. I thought you were saying it was a good tradition to buy a truck on the first day of love. No, that's not a good tradition. Buy (laughs) a truck at the end of December. Fair. Well, let's, let's jump into it because we're going to have to teach these kiddos a lot today. And then we get to opine about the things that we've just taught them. So let's talk inflation. Okay. Uh, why don't you start with some definitions because I, I'm, you're probably going to do more educating and I'm going to do more opining. Um, okay, fair. And I, I'm, I'm going to be stomping and harumphing around and, and you could probably give us a good basis for that. Great. So maybe I'm going to give you a quiz and see where, where you oh, no. come in here. But Okay, fair S- enough. Stephen, what is inflation? Well, inflation, I think of inflation as when it is when the value of money goes down. And there's sure, and I know that there's some economics behind, there's some levers that move that make that happen. I, I guess I only think about the effects. So it's probably something to do with is it when there's more spent than earned? Is that inflation? Inflation, we can just. For the, our purposes today, we can just say it's when your money buys less than it previously okay, did. Okay, well, then that's what I thought. Uh, and so at the simplest level, this is not a trick question. How does inflation happen? How does, inf- how does your money lose its value? It's when uh, it takes more dollars to buy the same thing. When prices go up, that's, okay. that's oh, what we're talking about. Okay. So um, there's a bunch of different ways to measure it. They all involve a basket of goods that we say, how much did this standardized basket of goods cost? And the, you know, if you look at people trying to make- Is that synonymous with the consumer price index, this basket of goods? That is one measure of inflation, yes. Um, There's certain- Lenses that just look at fuel, for example, just look at, uh, you know, consumables. So groceries and things like that. Others look at all prices in the economy. Yeah. Lots of different ways to measure it. But when prices go up, then that's what we call inflation. Um, now why might prices go up? There's, there's several options here, but do you have any ideas? It's funny because I think of I think of running a business and you would raise your prices because your prices go up. So I think that's one of the reasons that prices go up is because um the price of your raw materials increases. I would think good. Uh flooding the market with money with with 
currency makes things go up. That's what I'm going to stomp about in a later. Um, yes. Would, would people, would people having less money make prices go up? Uh, no. Okay. All right. I'm out of options. If the only thing that happened in our economy was that people had less money, we would actually expect prices to go down. Okay. Um, but yeah, you're right. Either inputs go up such that I cannot make a product, uh, for the amount that I was previously making it for. And I have to charge more, um, that can result in inflation. It can also just result in businesses closing down. Uh, so, you know, there's a point at which you say, if there's not more money in the system, which was the second thing you said, then it doesn't really matter if it takes $150,000 for me to make a Ford Escort because nobody's going to buy that car if I do make it. So I don't just raise the price to $150,000. I stop making Ford Escorts. Um, you know, so more money in the system is one of the big drivers of inflation. And the other one is a shortage of goods that people want. So demand for goods goes up. Uh, that's the other big thing that can cause inflation. So even if you didn't put more money in the system, if for some reason suddenly everybody wanted one type of thing, uh, it might have not been super expensive. So think about real estate. You could get a great deal on a lot in on Manhattan Island in probably uh, 1800. Yeah. Uh, that land became very expensive in you know, 1995 um, because all of a sudden a lot more people wanted it. So the price went up. Um, so that's kind of how we think about it. Uh, I'm going to talk mostly about those two, either more money in the system or a shortage of goods that people want. Okay, I'll just make a make a comment here, which is you're you're going to talk about the causes. I just want to put a little pin in one of the effects that you you've already mentioned um because one of the things I want to have happen today is I want people to be more concerned about inflation. I want it to upset them and concern them because if if you're properly concerned, you'll take good steps. So you've already mentioned that one of the things that happens with uh, when inflation uh, roars is that businesses close. That's a that's a really important thing to note. It's one of the effects of inflation is that you can't do business anymore. So I just put a little pin in that. You keep going. Great. So I we could probably do a whole episode on the Fed, um, but you might have heard about the Fed in the news in, in the midst of all this inflation talk. And Stephen, do you know how the Fed impacts inflation or tries to deal with it? Have you, have you studied this much? <laughs> I have studied it. Um, I know one thing they do is they try to jack with, um, they try to jack with interest rates. That's right. So let's talk about that really quickly. I'm going to say a bunch of stuff and then I'm going to try to give you a, a layman's version of it, but they have a few options if they want to put more money in the system or take money out of the system. So controlling what they call the money supply. Um, you may have heard of the Fed funds target rate. Right now, one of the big news items is that the Fed is going to raise interest rates this year. Well, how do they do that? 
Um, so banks borrow money to satisfy what used to be liquidity requirements. Believe it or not, in March 2020, we got rid of liquidity requirements for banks. Um, Unbelievable. But bank, you know, actually, a lot of countries have never had liquidity requirements and not run into issues. So it's that just- might sound... It's concerning because every sort of rational holder or security thing that screws in the finances into the wall so they don't move, those are just being removed one by one because we simply can't continue to have an economy that runs the way that it used to. So they're inventing a new economy is what's happening. I'm going to make an argument by the end of this that one of the silver linings of this whole deal is that the Fed is doing a good job right now. Oh my word, Uh, I'm all ears. they're making the right decisions, but we got to understand this piece first, which is that um, banks borrow and lend to each other so that they have the right amount of reserves. Basically, you don't want everybody to show up on a Monday morning and say, I'd like to withdraw some money. And the bank says we're out. Um, so they always have a certain amount of reserves, whether they're required to or not, they're going to lose. They're going to have a house that somebody doesn't pay their mortgage. They're going to need to have some reserves uh, so that they can handle these situations. And the rate that they in- lend to each other is the Fed funds target rate. Um, and the Fed can impact that in a few ways. Uh, one is called the interest on reserve balances, which basically is... Um, they, the Fed will pay interest on money that the banks keep in reserve. So that sets the upper limit for what banks will lend because they're not going to borrow at a rate above this because they could just borrow directly from the Fed for this rate. So they're not going to borrow from each other above that rate. And they also have a tool called the Overnight Reverse Repurchase Agreement um, that essentially pays interest. Yeah, it, the on RRP, yeah. on RRP. Mm-hmm. But essentially, this pays interest to the banks that use this uh, lending facility. And this sets the lower limit for interest rates that banks will charge to other banks. They can't charge less than that because they could just put their money into this facility and lend money to the Fed for that price. So they're not going to lend a bank less than that rate. And they're not going to lend at a rate higher than the uh, interest on reserve balance rate. So by adjusting these rates, the Fed can significantly impact banks' cost of capital and therefore adjust rates throughout the whole economy. So when you hear talk of the Fed raising or lowering interest rates, these are the tools that they will use to figure out how willing are banks going to be to lend out money and how often are they going to need to hold on to more of it. Um, And that doesn't sound like a huge lever, but it has a massive impact on the entire economy. It impacts businesses that need to have capital in order to grow. It impacts individuals who want to buy homes. So these interest rates, very important. Um, And that's one of the tools that the Fed uses. Um, The second one, we could get really nerdy here, but I'm just going to talk about kind of the most aggressive measure that the Fed can use in this area, which is to buy back treasuries. So they they loan money in the form of creating treasuries uh, and government bonds, um, and they can buy those back. So when they buy them back, they are repurchasing debt that the government has loaned and handing out money in exchange for that debt that puts money into the system. This is known as quantitative easing. Oh boy. Um, 
Now you warned me we weren't going to nerd out, but we're we're well and truly there. Okay, I'm almost done. Okay. Um, in general, quantitative easing lowers long-term interest rates by decreasing the supply of government bonds on the market, like I said. And what happens is now the interest rates on bonds are lower. That's kind of the risk-free rate. Um, if I have $100,000, I can buy a treasury and I'm very confident I'm going to get my money back at the rate on that bond. Um when the Fed lowers that by buying a bunch of these bonds back and injects a bunch of money into the economy, uh, they're kind of forcing investors to put capital into other places like stocks. So this is thought to help jumpstart the economy by raising the price of stocks and stimulating consumer and business spending. Uh, you might have noticed in the past couple of years, we've been going through a very weird economy where it seems like a lot of things aren't going great, but the stock market has been going up. It has. Um, So in 2008, quantitative easing increased the Fed's total assets to $2.3 trillion that the Fed owned in federal securities. By mid-2021, we were at $8 trillion. And in early 2022, we're over $8.8 trillion. So we've been using this tool a lot previous to recent times, this was thought of as like emergency measure. Don't use it unless you absolutely have to. So that's kind of how the Fed plays into this. And I don't want to burst my own bubble, but what I'll say is there's a lot of pressure um, in the past couple of years. And this is not, I I know you're going to want to stomp and rant about one particular side. All politicians have been equally guilty of hoping that the Fed would just keep dumping money into the market because politicians love it when the stock market goes up. Um, And it's why, honestly, we've been saying to clients and things like that, hey, this stock market is being artificially pumped right now. And as long as the the federal government's just going to keep pumping money out there, we need to, stocks are going to keep growing. Um, and this is not me predicting that we're headed for a big stock collapse, but I think when the, the Fed stops doing this, which they have signaled now, we're about to significantly pull the reins on both the quantitative easing and we're going to start raising interest rates. What they're saying is we are no longer as concerned about stimulating growth as we are about fighting inflation because as you know, inflation's almost at 7%. We can't sustain that for the long haul. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not a situation that I think is going to result in us becoming Venezuela, where all of a sudden we're printing billion-dollar bills. But sustained high inflation has relatively bad consequences for our economy. Um, Can you tell us? Things- yeah, yeah. I'm raising my hand here. Um, do you, can you tell us what does 7% inflation mean? Um, um, what has it been historically? Uh, where do you get concernicus? Yeah. So over time, we think of about two and a half percent as a healthy inflation rate, believe it or not, 0% inflation, generally not great. Um, deflation, usually a sign that something really bad is going on. Uh, so 
Um, inflation, zero inflation is not necessarily the goal because our economy is growing. And as long as inflation is significantly lower than growth, then we can tolerate a low level of inflation. That's not a big deal. Um, I'll talk a little bit at the end of this about the silver linings to inflation and how people can take advantage of an inflationary environment. But even when inflation is at a normal rate, it has some factors that tend to be um, positive for people, who, especially who have multi-generational vision, because they can kind of make investments for the long haul and use this to their advantage. Um, you know, like I said, we tapped near 7% for the last measure. That's not for a full year. I personally do not expect that we will stay that high for a full year. Um, and I don't really think that we are at a huge risk of staying super, super high uh, for an extended period of time, although it's going to be a lot higher than 2.5% for the next <laughs> probably several years. Um, okay. I'll do a little stomping and then we can talk about reactions. So the, the thing that I'm the most concerned about, you told us a couple of things that can produce inflation. Um, the one that I'm the most concerned about is, is the flooding of the economy with dollars. That's certainly been the headline in the last 12 to 18 months. Um, yes. Yeah. I think that that's, you know, we just talked about the fed. That's only one place where dollars have been coming into the economy. Right. Um, I think that the, we can talk about the other places, which, uh, maybe it makes sense to do before I cut you loose to do some ranting. Okay. And then, and then we'll also make sure before we get into the impacts and implications to talk about the other half of this equation, which is less supply of goods. But um, the other way that, that money gets dumped into the economy right now is direct injection of what's frankly, kind of fake money by the government that has kind of happened in several ways. One is that we just paid people money to stay home. Um, and how do we do that? Well, we write more debt. Um, so uh, that came in several forms. There was the stimulus payments that everybody got. We did a whole episode on what to do with your stimulus check where we said, don't throw it in the trash. just because. But also, let's not vote for people who think this is a good way to, to get things flowing again. Um, the other kind of ways that, that this has happened is there's been a moratorium on evictions. So people who, let's say for whatever reason, they decided I'm not comfortable going to work or they legitimately got put out of work. Maybe they owned a small business like you did, but they hadn't been wise enough to set up reserves that could float them yeah. for two or three years. And a lot of very hardworking people found themselves out of business uh, because we shut down the economy. Well, um, instead of evicting them, landlords were prevented artificially from kicking them out, um, which left them with a lot of money in their pockets that they would not have already otherwise had. Um, and the third way is that the, there was a big boost to a lot of government programs like unemployment. So both at the state and national level, a lot of unemployment checks went two, three, four times as high as normal. Um, and that had impacts. So um, that was 
I think probably when you think about injection of money into the economy, you're more prone as just a consumer to think about those things where you either got a check or uh, didn't have to pay a bill and then you had more money than you would have otherwise. Less less are you thinking about the fact that the the Fed loaned your bank uh, at a slightly lower rate right. money for their overnight reserve requirements. Right. Yeah, so just to review, the, as you say, the economy was shut down, which is people can't go make make money, make profits. And then we wrote these PPP checks to everybody and their brother, which, you know, as we said, as we said at the time, well, uh, we applied for those, our business, we got whatever was due to us. And I just hated that check. I was thinking, this isn't the way I want money to come into my coffers. This is upside down. This is, this is a form of stealing, which we'll get to that. I think this is a form of stealing. And we didn't, I didn't make this money. I, I didn't earn this from profits. Um, so, uh, the government of the USA voted in the last couple of months to raise the debt ceiling by $2.5 trillion. Okay. Just to give people a little, if people don't know this. I, I pulled up what's the national debt right now. Do you, you have a guess on that? I'm going to guess that it's $30 trillion. Well, the published national debt, which includes debt held by the public and intragovernmental holdings, including the debt held by Social Security and Medicare, is, as you say, $30 trillion, which we cannot conceive of. Um. But there are also assets and liabilities in the financial report of the U.S. government that are not included in this number. There's unfunded Social Security and Medicare promises. And do you know what the actual uh, debt of the U.S. government is, if you, if you include those numbers? Tell it to me. $141 trillion. That would make... Yeah, go on. That... That strikes me as an interesting number, but maybe not as uh, clear as might otherwise. I mean, if we take the total wealth of Americans and the total debt of the nation and put one over the other, we're still we're still in the black. We're by about two hundred thousand dollars per person. So, um, well, keep e- going. Each taxpayer's share of that hum- humongous number would be nine hundred nineteen thousand dollars each taxpayer, which I'll just say again, the government doesn't have any money. It's not, it doesn't make money. All it does is route your money into its various programs. So when it pulls money from the people and it's only got so much money. And so they just print off a bunch of extra money and spend it or don't even print it off. Just put it on some ledger and call it debt. Um, Things are crazy. I would just say Raising the debt ceiling by $2.5 trillion um, doesn't even cover all the proposed spending that's on the books right now, that they're talking about right right. now. So, yeah. And it's important, I think, to, when we talk about debt ceiling, it's always like a big political issue. And it kind of drives me crazy because 
we should absolutely raise the debt ceiling whenever it comes up for a vote, because that's kind of like, do you want to pay your credit card bill? Um, it's the spending side of the equation that right. needs reform, not should we pay for the things we bought? Well, yes, unless you want to go on a global domination campaign a la Germany in, you know, 1939, yeah. uh, you, you, you should pay for the things you bought. Um, let me, let me just throw out a couple other historical tidbits on this number before we move on, all right, all right. which is you're right. Two and a half million or trillion, <laughs> uh, of a debt ceiling, uh, right now we have a $3 trillion budget deficit. So we're only half a trillion underfunding there. Um, the last time we paid off the national debt, when do you think that was Stephen? The last time we were at zero? Yes. Uh, Nixon or before? It, you're right. It was before. It was 1835. <laughs> I guess before would be any time earlier than today. Did I get it right? 1835, yeah. we had a balanced budget. And one of the big ratios that people look at here is debt to GDP. So how much debt do we have versus how much gross income we make as a country each year? Um, 2014 is when we crossed the 100% ratio for the first time since World War II. Mm. Um, after World War II, we went from 119% down to 61% in 10 years. So we chipped away at it pretty well. The economy grew really well post-war. Um, in the last 10 years since we crossed that threshold, um, well, just before, in 2011, we were at 95% and we're at 124% today. So we're not, we're not really uh, following in our grandparents' footsteps to, <laughs> to build an economy that can kill this, this big debt we've incurred. Wow, that's good. Um, people might have heard this. I'll just say it. Um, it's, it is a fact that now 40% of all dollars that exist, that exist were printed in the last 12 months. So that's a lot of toner. They're probably they're using it yeah. over at the at the currency place. I've um, been printing them at my house just as quick as I could. <laughs> here, so, here on the Abraham's Wallet podcast, we like to joke about felonies. Yes, what a crazy felony that would be. Okay, uh, um, so uh, th that being the case, the value of a dollar is suffering badly. Um. The Treasury told us in 2019 that 40% of Americans don't have $400 in the bank for emergencies. So for those who have tried to put money away faithfully, their hard work is being undercut badly. So that, that means that your dollars, as we just said, when prices rise, if all you have is hard dollars... We saved up $100. We're doing our best, okay? And that $100 is under the mattress. As inflation rises, I'm sorry that you saved up that $100. It's now worth $80, et cetera. I'll get to that. So just, just, just a note, I, I'm, I'm trying, as I said, I want people to be upset about Inflation. I want them to be concerned so that they know what to do and to be wise and smart, shrewd, 
as, as the Bible would say. Okay, let's say you put 50K into savings, but then somebody hacked your account and they pulled 20,000 off of it. Would you prosecute? Your money was stolen. Well, the U.S. government has done this very thing to its citizens by overspending and, and financial irresponsibility. Now, we're not going to... Um, we're not going to sue. I don't recommend you get in a lawsuit against the U.S. government. Those usually don't end well. But uh, I, I want us to have that kind of concern, like, well, where is the money going? It's flying away. Um, purchasing power decreases, as, as we've said. So when you think of what it costs you to fill up your gas tank, that's, a, that's, a great, that's just a great reference that all of us can think of what it costs us when you walk away from the pump, you look at that final price and go, I mean, oh, shoot, I, I don't want to pay $75 to fill up my gas tank. That's not how much it used to cost me. Um, think about- Can you fill up your gas tank for 75 bucks? I can. Yeah. Wow. I, I'm at about 110. Oh, my stars. Um, well, yeah, your, your gas prices are way higher than mine right now. I, I learned that when you were in Ohio and I just shocked. Um, very concerning because I assume I assume that whenever on the West Coast or up north there's high gas prices, I just assume those prices are coming to me eventually. Eh, I I think we do have to be careful with gas prices as a proxy because there is a lot that goes into gas prices that can be connected or disconnected from inflation. We had really high inflation in the late '80s and gas prices were at times extremely high and at times under a dollar. So, well, um, it's a spending reference. It's a spending reference that people have because it's something that they have to buy over and over again. So you can just track, well, how much does it does it take me to do this thing that I do over and over? Uh, yeah, I know that the price is more complicated than inflation, but it's just a reference to to yep. economic realities. So, um you can think about how much that number has varied over your lifetime. There, gas isn't the most expensive it's ever been in my lifetime, right, at this moment. Um, but you can think of how much it's varied over the last year. It's, it's gone up dramatically over the last year. You think of over your lifetime. Um, now, over a lifetime, income rises with prices, right? So, so a middle, we, we've talked about this before. A middle-class house, uh, three-bedroom, two-bath, it costs more now than it did 30 years ago. But income has th that the income of a of of a guy who is a plumber. Let's talk about talk about old uh, Fabian Berrigan. His income has increased over the last 30 years. So so when income rises with prices, that that's fine. It's when that doesn't happen over a year's time. When you think of how, how gas has increased over a year's time, uh, pay hasn't increased that much over a year. I, I looked up what did gas cost uh, my birth year, 1972. Can you guess how much gas cost a gallon in, in 1972? I bet it was uh, 57 cents. That's a pretty good guess. I, I would not have guessed that low. It was 36 cents. Wow. That's incredible. That's one lifetime. Um, in constant dollars, that's a buck 59. So that would be a reasonable growth rate 
uh, would it, it would be a buck fifty nine? Well, th- that's not what the growth rate is. Um, we know that CPI is a lagging indicator, isn't that right, Mark? Yes. So what do you what do you do when you no longer have faith that your dollar will buy as much a year from now as it does right now? I'll just put that in. I'll just put a pin in that to to like reactions. What do we do? I just hang that out there. Don't answer that question yet. So um, w- one of the things that happens when you're when you're when you lose faith that the amount of dollars that I have right now are going to be worth as much next year as they are right now. And I don't have any confidence that if I stuff it under my mattress, that that's going to be a good move. And I'm not getting any interest at the bank. So what would you do with those dollars? Oh, I'm going to talk about that. Okay. Well, this will be my on-ramp to you is that you spend. So spending is encouraged by inflation because you think to yourself, I don't know if you've ever seen the photographs of people in Russia with wheelbarrows full of money, taking them to buy bread. Because one of the thoughts that you have is, well, right now I can buy a bread for $150 a loaf. Next week it might be $1,000 a loaf. So let's get rid of it while we can. I don't want to keep it under my mattress. So spending is encouraged. Um, did I mention that... Uh, uh, um, uh, that uh, most American homes don't have excess money to spend. We mentioned that. Um, but but what you do in these times is exactly what you did when you knew that low fab was coming. You stuff the freezer with meat. You buy sh- shoes a size bigger for the kids because consumer confidence is tanking. So whatever makes you, I'll just say this, whatever makes you disobey the command to watch the ant who puts the food away for winter is bad. That's a bad, that's a bad trend. And, and I just want to encourage everybody. One of the things that you've got to do is you keep your head and you do the things that you're commanded to do. And one of the things I'll turn it over to you right now, but I just tee this up for you is one of the things that will might help you do that and curb that desire is Lodo Fab. It will keep you from, from wanting to get rid of all of your uh, liquid cash. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I lived in Argentina right after they had a total collapse of their currency. Mm. So they used to be pegged to the dollar, which meant one Argentine peso was worth $1. And that was just fixed. And they floated their currency. And right before they announced this is what they were going to do, they shut down the banks for a couple of days. So people went to the bank and said, hey, I need to get out some money. I got to run payroll. And the bank said, sorry, no depo- no withdrawals yeah. right now. And then everybody freaked the heck out. And when the government came on TV, they said, good news. Now we've floated the currency and here's, you can access all your money. And they found overnight that their peso was worth 10 cents, um, which was a great time for a young guy to be hanging out in Buenos Aires because the prices stayed the same, but the, the pesos worth tons. Oh man, we would like walk into like a nightclub, which the only time in my life I have ever gone to a nightclub was in Argentina, but (laughs) it's what my compatriots wanted to do. And they'd be like, Hey, you guys, you got to get in line. And we were like, well, can we go in the VIP 
with all the famous soccer players. And they're like, that would, you know, we'd have to charge you like 200 pesos. And we're like, eh, 20 bucks to sit with the, the most famous people in your country. Let's do it. And, you know, people thought we were like rock stars there for about a year. But, um, you know, I want to, before we just get into the impacts and the implications, I just wanted to really quickly go back and talk about the other half of the, what causes this equation, okay. which is less supply of goods. Um, this really was something that COVID and all of the measures that were implemented around COVID brought on in many ways. So the supply chain right. uh, was di- disrupted and it didn't m- matter how much money was available for production. Uh, there were pieces of the supply chain that we just couldn't get into the U.S. Um, my buddy wanted to buy, you know, the new, the big Wampers Ford Bronco? Yes, the big boy. Seen? It's a cool car. It is uh, it's cool. I feel like if there was an official uh, vehicle of outpost advisors, it would be like an orange Ford Bronco, but may it maybe. be someday. Yeah. So I think sticker price on this car that my buddy decided he was going to go ahead and splurge and buy was $62,000. And he went to the Ford dealership and they said, we have good news. We have been allocated eight of these things. <laughs> we have them. Um, and we, we will have them in seven months and you can put your money down and in seven months you can have one. And he's like, I want to do it. So they said, the, the bad news for you <laughs> is that we are charging a premium because demand is much higher than supply for this mm-hmm. car. What do you think they wanted for this $62,000 sticker price Ford Bronco, Stephen? I'm thinking that because demand was high, and they smell commissions. They, if it was 62, perhaps they would go as high as 85 for a sort of 20% increase. Yeah. They said, we will sell you this car for between 150 and $155,000. To which my friend said, yeah, he of course left sad like the rich young ruler, but (laughs) that's terrible. um, why did why is this happening? Well, certain components are just not available. Uh, so we have to wait for our declared enemies like China to manufacture enough chips for yeah. us to have cars. Uh, you know, we were just in rural Ohio last week. And one of the things that we were talking to folks about is that the, the, they're about to build a massive chip plant in the middle of just a very small town in Ohio and try to bring some of this production back to the U S we're not doing that because people feel patriotic. We're doing it because we've realized it's an actual security risk uh, and a national economy risk to rely entirely on, you know, even if it was our friends, but much less China is not our friend uh, in the global, uh, uh, arena, political economic arena. Right. So, um, there are steps to being taken, but that could be 10 years out before we really ramp those types of efforts. And that's only if we have the endurance to kind of see them through. Um, so that was piece of it. There was shortages that were just entirely panic based. So toilet paper was not necessarily impossible to, to produce, but people just grabbed it all. Um, 
The labor supply, we talked about this a little bit, but it shrank because the government was paying people to stay home. Um, And I'm a little, yeah, I'm confused about why that hasn't popped back as quickly as we would have expected. I did some research leading up to this episode and there's a lot of people who claim this is exactly why it happened. Nobody has a great convincing argument. So, um, because at this point, most of those programs have stopped and we're still seeing my friends who own restaurants who cannot hire cooks, no matter how much they pay. Um, so it's, it's an open question. Are certain industries just done and we've decided no? Um, uh, I don't know. It's really sad. I mean, we could connect a couple of dots here. Um, if you listen to the episode with Fabian, he said that young people don't want to just do hard work anymore. And it is a fact that if you, um, if you addict people to being handed money, uh, they don't want to work for money anymore. That, that's a fact. And so if there's such a thing as easy money, you and I and everybody else will almost certainly take easy money as opposed to difficult money. There's so many bad things conspiring. This is, this is one of the reasons I want to talk about this because I do think it gets into character. And for instance, uh, I was just speaking with my mother um, about, about, this is something we go on and on about, wealthy families who simply write blank checks to their kids. And if you do that with a kid who's five years old and then 10 years old and then 15 years old, and you expect that kid to wake up one day as a 21-year-old and want to work hard for a living, you're joking yourself. And so there's something that has to be developed into a, a whole nation, which is if you work hard, you get the returns for that work. And that whole metric is being jacked with in our brains over the last couple of years. It, it's certainly true for those coming of age, anybody in the 15 to 22 category, their brains are being, I think, perhaps irrevocably jacked with. So all of that is concerning. And, and that's why I, I kind of want us all to get on the same page mentally just to understand the economic and governmental forces and how they conspire to to change the way that you think and believe and behave. That that's why I want to get into this stuff, not because I want to rant about we're flooding the economy with dollars. It's because it can undermine your work ethic, your belief that entrepreneurialism will pay off, um, the idea that saving money is wise. All of those things. So I just want to kind of get them out into the open and tell people, look, even if, even if it were the case that if, if you saved money, it, it evaporated, like it burned away, we would still want to follow the biblical dictate to save. So, you know, that's why I want to throw these things out. Well, you, you mentioning China not being our friend is a nice entree into me putting on um, my little conspiracy hat just for a moment, and then I'll, l- I'll let you get into to, um, some reactions or, or effects or however. So this episode is going to be marked as misinformation by Spotify. Oh, uh, shoot. But go ahead. I, well, I think this is a fact, okay? I believe that the devaluation of finances is a ladder 
that leans against a fortress that we call tyranny. I'm sorry, leans against a fortress that we call liberty. So it, 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 if money is devalued, uh, it, there's a ladder that the enemies can scale up around this fortress that we call liberty. So devaluation of currency is, as you, you mentioned, Venezuela, devaluation of currency is one of the leading indicators of tyranny. That's just true. So when people feel the need to spend all their money right now, hoard goods as opposed to hoarding wealth, hoarding goods and not save, there's a feedback loop that, you know, I, if, you're, if you're telling us that everything's wonderful and they're making all the right moves, I'm happy to hear it. But there is a, a feedback loop that can lead to hyperinflation, which is the money starts running out, so we spend it quicker, then less of it comes back and we spend whatever we can get our hands on. That's a, that's a bad, that's like an inescapable black hole. So um, I, know, I know like it gets old when if you disagree with anybody, you call them a Nazi. And if anything bad is happening, you say that's Nazis. But it's still a very interesting historical reference. So I'll just say between June of 1921 and November of 1923 in, in, in Weimar, Germany, two, two years there, two and a half years, the highest monthly inflation rate rose by over 30,000%. And the causes were overspending, national debt, and printing money. We, we have those things all present right now. So this creates desperate people who are eager to overreach for a solution, any solution, even if that solution feels totalitarian. And it's a bad, bad trend to put people into that desperate shape. And so my, my feeling, I mean, it's not like I have the, I have everybody's ear, but if I had the ear of 200 million people, I would just tell everybody like, let's, you mustn't overreact to these bad uh, circumstances that are kind of mounting around us. We mustn't do our part to, to get on that uh, wheel that, that gets worse and worse. So that, that's, that's as close to to uh, to uh, 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 conspiracy theory as I'll get. Yeah, so I'm not going to go into hyperinflation a whole lot. I think that there's compelling reasons to believe that hyperinflation is a very low risk for the United States, meaning the thousand, ten thousand, hundred thousand percent uh, inflation yeah. rates, uh, but. Sustained high inflation also has devastating consequences. Uh, so, you know, we're talking different different shapes that this might take. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I'm shocked that Nazis have come up now twice in our podcast. <laughs> um, really, when you get into that scenario, the the only option you have is to collapse like Venezuela did, or yeah mount a global domination campaign, which is the, the German option. But well, I'll just say, I don't think the time to talk about that stuff is when inflation is at a thousand percent. I sure. think it's when it's, cl it's climbing from seven to 15%. So I know, I know I'm being extreme and, and I'm doing that on purpose. I want us to go, well, not that we're not going to go there. So, all right. Yep. Reactions. Do you want to talk about reactions? I want to talk about what are the impacts of this. Okay. And then I believe that our audience is not the 
dorks who sit in their mother's basements and play Xbox all the time and take their no, their unemployment checks. So I want to give our crew some suggestions for how might I leverage wisdom in a time when this stuff is going on? Because there really are ways in which a multi-generationally minded father could look at this and go, hmm, uh, you know, I had a guy tell me a little while ago, he said, I feel like this is the moment that we either blow up or set up the next five generations. Mm. Um, and he made some moves that I was like, that's risky, but it's gonna, you know, now that this has been six months since he said that and made some moves and I'm seeing this guy really did look way down the pike and sort of, uh, set his family up for the long haul. So, I want to tell people how they might do stuff like that. Oh yeah, that's great. Um, So impacts, I'll go through this really quickly, but one of the big ones is widening of income inequality. And Mm -hmm. we talk a lot about, hey, be one of the smart ones, be a multi-generationally minded and you can build up massive piles of wealth. We want listeners to think that way. Mm -hmm. And yet we also have to acknowledge that expanding income inequality in society is a bad thing. Um, Mm -hmm. When there's a very small group of hyper rich and a very large group of people who are doing very poorly, that is not good Mm -hmm. for any of the conditions that would be conducive to family building over long periods of time. Um, So how does that look? Real estate, anybody tried to buy a house recently? Um, I had somebody knock on my door and offer me three times what I paid for my house four years ago uh, in cash. Wow. And I couldn't take it because there's nowhere to move that I could buy for like cheap. If you could capture Uh, that money, you would, but you can't. I I said, I said, I'd love to sell you this house, but I'd have to move an hour and a half away and that doesn't work. So, um, you know, for those who are stuck in lower paying jobs and don't own property, they are subject to dramatically increasing rents. I talked to somebody yesterday who told me their rent just got raised 20% in one year. Um, and they don't get the equity boost that came when everyone decided to make a dash for housing in 2020. Wow. So for those who owned land and could offload it either because they already had other options, maybe they owned investment properties and they could use this as time to cash in on some of that pop. Um, or because they controlled their own geographical sort of location independent of their income, then they did really well in this time. You know, if you, if you found that you owned a townhouse in San Francisco and because of all the changes that came to the workforce, you could move to Lincoln, Nebraska and sell your house for $4 million. Well, uh, that's pretty cool. And you can still make the same income that you make from your San Francisco company. Cool. Um, but that's one place where there was just a huge and widening chasm between the haves and the have nots. Um, stock markets are another place that we see impact here. So, I talked about how stocks kind of had to go up while the government was pumping cash into the economy because what are you going to do? Buy bonds that pay a quarter of a percent? Um, No, you're going to put it into a company because if you own stock and the company that you bought stock in is making widgets and widgets get more expensive, well, that company gets more money and they hand it to you as one of the owners. Um, So in general, stocks can actually be a safe haven during high inflationary periods. Yeah, let me pile Um, on that. Are you done with that point? 
Uh, I have a little bit more, but go ahead. Well, uh, you know, the, the, the financial term for that is equities, right? So uh, I'll, I'll just make this case. It says what you just said. At the end of 1980, you could have put 30 bucks under your mattress and that $30 in 1980 dollars would now be worth $10 when compared to what it could buy in 1980. Okay. We talked about like the price of gas just rising. That same 30 bucks could have bought you a share of Apple stock. And after dividends and stock splits, that one share would be worth over $7,000 today from that $30 at the end of 1980. So, and I know that's an extreme case, but the point is that investing in equities is good, um, uh, which something like an index fund, which puts money in a whole bunch of equities. Investing, this is the point, is that investing is actually smart even if your confidence in the system is waning. There are going to be corporate winners. Um, I wish there were more small mom and pop winners. But the fact is when I'm looking at where do I invest my dollar so that it will grow, equities is a good move. Yeah. And there are types of equities that do better in inflationary environments. So uh, value stocks pretty much always outperform uh, during inflationary periods because they're designed to make a lot of money. What's a value stock? It's a stock like Procter & Gamble, uh, the blue chips, hey where they have a system that just can generate money because they make something that people need. Uh, the opposite of that would be a growth stock, which is a stock in a company that is designed to spend a lot of money. Um, and those are usually things like tech stocks. So yesterday, uh, this will be a little bit of old news by the time this comes out, but Facebook stock dropped 25%. I saw that. I think they lost $280 billion of value. And that's that's a pretty shocking number uh, to, to get wiped out in a day. Um, and they, they basically came out and said, hey, some of the things that were driving growth uh, have dried up for us. Apple changed their privacy laws and said... Um, we're not going to let you snoop on people on their phones like you were before. Uh, and so I'm hooray for that move. Yeah. But um, there are exceptions to this. Amazon still has, has kind of been in that growth category. And Google, they both crushed this last quarter because they're these growth companies that every once in a while, they go to the market and they say, watch this. And they just turn off the growth engine for a quarter and say, look how much money we can make. And it's billions upon billions of dollars of profit. Um, so those companies have not gotten hit the way that a lot of like high growth tech companies have. But um, something to think about when you're thinking about stocks, I think we could boil this all the way down to uh, mom and pop level and say, Businesses that just do things people need. I'm going to once again kick it back to the fabulous episode with Fabian Berrigan. Mm. Uh, but he's just doing something that people will always need for as long as they have to poop. Correct. They're going to need a plumber. Uh, and those types of businesses don't have to be totally afraid in, in a time when inflation is happening. You might need to be a little bit more worried if you sell a new app to, you know, do Instagram filters for right. your cat. I, I yep. don't know. Um, yep. But last, last impact is wage increases. So these hurt 
owners of businesses, um, but not as much, like you said, as price increases hurt laborers. Right. Interestingly, um, wages are up 5.6% since January of 2020, which is a big jump compared to historical increase levels. But inflation rate right now, like I said, almost 7%. So if that trend continues, then the owners... Um, they are doing better than the laborers in this case. Uh, it's oh, and, TBD. And who, employment is up. Uh, unemployment, sorry. Yeah, depending on where you live. I just saw Utah. We have the lowest unemployment rate in the country at the moment. Good. But we've also been pretty good about avoiding most of the nonsense surrounding Lockdown the last measures, couple of years. Yeah. Um, So when workers have enough bargaining power to secure a pay raise that outpaces long-term potential of the economy, there is a risk of overheating. This is why, you know, if you talk to somebody who lived in Detroit in the 80s, they will tell you the unions were really good as long as the auto industry in the United States was blowing the doors off and growing and they could afford to pay us when things stopped looking so rosy and we continued to demand massive pay increases. Uh, you know, our bargaining power actually worked against us. And before we knew it, the factories closed. Um, so wages are, are definitely a thing, but um, let's get to some silver linings. How does the Abrahamic dude, we've gone a long time here. How does that guy take advantage of all this, this milieu of, of economic news? Um, well, we've named two things already. That being right. involved in equities is good. Um, uh, they're not well. They having uh, <laughs> owning, I should say, owning real estate is good. Now, w- w- if buying real estate, uh, you know, we can't predict what markets will ever do, but we know that uh, owning real estate is good. So, if you had a rental property and you were considering uh, consider selling it. Uh, we might tell you to tap the brakes on that idea. Um, I'm going to throw out an opinion here that you might disagree with, but I'm, I'm going to okay. throw it out. So um, what you're describing when you say uh, that, that uh, Fabian slash Felix is uh, plumbing because that's a permanent need, it's not a luxury thing, Um that's plumbing is much like uh, gas in that it's going to be needed. So uh, the, the magic word is commodities, um, something that's needed. Now, here, here comes my sentence that's going to make you at least smirk. On January 1st of 2020, Bitcoin was trading at 7,100 bucks and at the end of 2021, it was 47K. It's presently at 35, somewhere lower than 47K. No, 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 no. Yeah. You haven't been checking the news today. No, I haven't. Uh, I think it's over 40 by quite a bit. Okay, great. So it, it's, it's, it's rising. The point is, compare whatever it is, 40-something, to the 7,000 that it was worth uh, two years ago. <clears throat> This is debatable, but Bitcoin and Ethereum are are widely considered to be commodities. And that's by authorities at the Commodities Future Trading Commission and the Securities and Exchange Commission. So some crypto and 
stuff like gold are good hedges against inflation. I don't know how you're going to re- react to that, but they're historically good uh, hedges against inflation. So w- we can make any comments on that, but I, I'm just going to say, you know what's not a good thing to be in right now? Uh, cash money. Cash. Stacks of cash. So if you hid cash under the mattress in 2011, it has lost 24% of its value since you did so. That is not good. So we don't want people to be uh, full of cash. We want we want them to be out there putting those dollars to work. Okay, you can stomp on my uh, that that Bitcoin is a commodity, but that was my input. No, you know I, I think I've said it many times on the podcast. Uh, if you want to understand just why gold and inflation are related to each other. Uh, I always, my example is that a gold coin would buy you a nice custom suit in the year 1700. And a gold coin will buy you a nice custom suit in the year 2022. Um, it there's, yeah. And uh, if you listen to podcasts, you'll hear advertisements for companies trying to get you to put your IRA into gold. Well, we think you can do a lot better than gold uh, as an investment. But as a hedge, meaning a protection against this particular risk, um, we mix a little bit of commodities like gold into every client's portfolio that we work with. Yeah. So um, that's a reasonable hedge. It's just, it's not a great, you know, this is my, my big play is Doesn't to buy a bunch well. of gold. Yeah. Um, you know, I think in terms of crypto, again, I still think it's it's new and I'm, I, I knew the that there would, there would be people listening to this who would just be screaming at their, their <laughs> car stereo, like talk about Bitcoin, you dumb dums. <laughs> and probably, right. uh, it's easy to, to seem like a genius when it's going up mm. 10% a week. And it's also easy to make fun of the, the crypto, uh, people when it drops 50% in six weeks. But, um, you know, my advice to most of the people that we work with continues to be, if you are interested in this, uh, it is a very reasonable thing to take a percentage, generally not a huge percentage of your net worth and put it here such that if it continues to grow, you have a piece of your overall picture that's going to outpace inflation. And if it doesn't, you don't feel like, hey, I put all my money on black and lost at the casino. Um, so we can... We've done episodes on crypto. I'm sure we'll do more episodes on crypto. Sure. Uh, the reason a lot of people like it is because it is decentralized generally. So unlike dollars, there is no one who That's can right. print more of it. That's right. The risk behind it is while you can't go make more Bitcoin, you can go make a new coin and convince other people that your coin is a better uh, device than Bitcoin and they could all switch and Bitcoin would be worth a lot less. So there's no inherent value. Um, And with gold, we have, you know, about 15,000 extra years of track record to say people like gold. Um, Well, I was just talking about uh, money with my daughter this week. And, you know, I say this to them often, money like dollars and coins, bills and coins. It's this pretend game that we all play. And as long as everyone's playing it, it works really good. 
And the, so the question about something like Bitcoin is who will all pretend that this thing, this container is useful? And more and more people are, are seeming more nations and more uh, huge institutions look like they're willing to play. So that's what yeah, kind of sure. gives me, makes me think, gives me confidence, even though, you know, it is pretend. Yep. So the silver linings then. Yeah, go ahead. I, I, I still think production returning to the United States, whether that means, you know, Jocko Willink is making jeans in Maine or yep. we're making semiconductors in Ohio. Uh, I, I read an article yesterday that just said a bunch of companies are going, my stuff has been stuck in, in, off the coast of California now for five months and it's no longer worth it to me to make t-shirts wow. in China. So I've got to bring this back. Um, some That's of that can be good. Importing is not all bad, uh, you know, but uh, especially dependence. I think... Dependence, international some, dependence is what's bad. Right. Um, for the people listening to this, inflation can turn leveraged investments into gold mines. So you mentioned it with real estate. Real estate is good, Leveraged real estate, though, if you borrow money at two and a half percent and you just put a little bit down on a house, this is assuming you can afford that. This is not like go out and stretch yourself like people did in 2007, but assuming you can afford it, if you can borrow at two and a half percent and money becomes five percent less valuable every year, in 20 years, that mortgage payment's going to feel free. Uh, assuming that wages, like we talked about, continue True. to increase. So I have a property that I bought during all this silliness, mainly because interest rates were so low that I said, I don't know if I'm going to use this as investment or recreation or just inheritance for my kids, but this is going to feel almost free in not that long. Mm. Um, so uh, that doesn't have to be real estate. There's other ways to leverage yourself. Less commonly, people buy equities on margin, and and uh, I don't recommend some of those moves unless you really know what you're doing. But you know, businesses expand and take opportunities when interest rates are low to secure cheap money. And you know, just like my friend said, this is a time when when lending is cheap. And money, cash is not a good thing to have on hand. This is a time to go expand your mm. your uh, outpost. And yep. um, again, wisely, we still, as much as it hurts to hold cash right now, we still recommend that every family have a substantial emergency fund. Yes. Uh, usually six months of income. And that might seem crazy if you're just starting out. Well, hey, we make $5,000 uh, a month. And you're telling me I need 30 grand just sitting there in cash getting less yep. valuable each day? Yes, I am telling you that because the the consequences of running into an actual emergency and not having any any money are worse than the consequences of getting diluted by inflation over time. Um, and the last silver lining for me is, like I said at the start, I think it's good that we're not trying to inflate our way out of COVID-induced slow growth slowness in our country. Even though there's places where politicians are trying to do that, that uh, Build Back Better bill that was going to do another three trillion yes. of spending, there were Democrats that voted against it, and so yes. I'm not turning Watch this them. at all into a 
political podcast, but I think you should you should concern yourself with what types of spending are the people I vote for interested in doing? And you should vote against people who are kind of like that kid who ran for student council when you were in high school and said, we're going to have Coke machines in every classroom. You're like, yeah. no, you're not stupid. That's, yeah. that's not what you're going to do. <laughs> but the problem is we get towards the end of an election cycle and you just have every politician saying, like, I am going to try to pack in the yes. the wish list of the groups that give me money. Yes. And uh, the consequences we'll just deal with when I'm dead. Uh, you know, uh, so that's that, where. That's a great piece of advice because, you know, tuck this in your brain because in six months, uh, it will be time to to vote in a new group. Um or vote out the the old timers that aren't doing well. So yeah, be thinking about this when you're looking at your ballot in six months. And you have to think about it also during uh, times when we feel some pain. So if we were to ever start chipping away at our national debt, yes. we would all feel some pain. Yes. And, and I think one of the coolest things we could do as a country would be to tell politicians we will suffer some pain in order to not put our kids in a terrible position. That's right. Um, you know, we're willing to have stock markets grow at 6% instead of 10. Uh, there's a lot of things that, that could happen, but um, in order to, to ever have the chance of elected officials addressing this in a responsible way, they have to know that doing so doesn't immediately get them kicked out of office or we just have to have uniquely uh, sacrificial public servants who care more for what's right than getting reelected, which seems unlikely. Yeah. Well, this is great. I appreciate your time and going over this stuff because I, I want, I wanted a definitive take on this because I, I already know I'm going to be recommending this episode to a bunch of friends and I'm glad we're going to have a, a little crystallized nugget about inflation. So this is great. Um, thank you so much. Yeah. It's fun to talk about inflation. If I had known how deep we were going to get into it, I'm going to be honest, Stephen, I would have worn like, I would have worn something a little fancier so that I could oh, yeah. share this and, and look like a pro, but oh, this yeah. is, this is the Abraham's Wallet podcast, and sometimes we. This is my walk in love t shirt. Okay. This t shirt produced by friends of the podcast, Brooke and TJ, who run another podcast called Walk in Love. Um, so, you know, at least there's that. But if you're oh. watching this and thinking, I've been looking for a financial advisor and I found these guys, oh, yeah. I was going to hire them, but then I saw this Yahoo thinking he could podcast in a t shirt, then to you, I say, I guess I blew it. <laughs> okay, well, don't blow it with your Lodo, the Lodo February that stands ahead of you. This is the month that we tighten our belts and we just practice saying no. Titus, I, I was sharing this with a, a, a group in a class that I'm teaching right now. Titus 2 says that the Spirit of God teaches us how to say no. Isn't that interesting? To our fleshly desires. And so, we want to go into a grocery store and literally get every single thing we like in there. We like to go into the gap and go like that and that and that. And we have to do, we have to, as we've been saying, we have to train ourselves to not be Americans that go everything I want. I'm just going to grab it. 
We need to be people who think ahead. We need to be people who put money aside. We need to be able to say no. So we think that February is a great time to take your entire month's budget and turn everything down. Just turn everything down, even turning the temperature down in your house, just so we can just get some non-luxury in our lives. Say no to the kids, say no to your own flesh. That's what we do for Lodo Feb. And so anyways, I know you know all that, Mark, but uh, keep keeping on. Good. Yeah, good reminder. I will see you next week, Steve. Okay, see ya.